This is the PR Pod, the podcast that brings you expert tips for working in PR and finding your niche. With your host, Brooke Burns. Today I'm joined by two of the most accomplished music publicists in Australia to give you some insight into working in the music industry. Rena Ferris and Val McIver, welcome to the PR Pod. Hello. <laughs> Feels a little strange being on the, uh, on the receiving end of an interview. Very strange, I uh-huh. think, yes. I've only really done one to. interview in my entire career, I think. What so. was it for? God, it was for Girlfriend back when I was oh, promo. Oh, wow. I was promo at Polygram and I hated that then. Yeah. And it was I'd, a Q&A. Yeah. It was so... I mean, I think that's part of the beauty of being in PR. You're behind the scenes the time. Yeah. That's why we do it. Otherwise, we're in the wrong career. Um, so between the two of you, you must have looked after some of the most high-profile and chart-topping Australian music artists, as well as those that are touring through Australia at various times in your careers, having worked with so many incredible people over your time in the industry, what gives you the most joy about working in music PR now? You know, having it come to fruition, you know, seeing a front cover, seeing it, seeing an album go to number one, I still, you know, I'm still super excited to have a client's album, you know, all of the things that were the things that excited me back when I first started, I think. Yeah, I agree. That buzz is still the same, isn't yeah. it? And in terms of career highlights, are there anything that has stand out? I mean, you guys have been in the industry for a while now. You've worked with, you've worked both in full record labels, now you both work for yourselves. What stands out as being some of the best accomplishments you've been the most proud of? I think it's hard to pin it down, but I would say it comes back to the people that you're working with and, mm. and you really get a lot of, it's just a good two-way working relationship with some artists and that's, that's a real pleasure. So, yeah, I think, and I, you know, again, it's hard to sort of pin those down, but there's definite career highlights. I think when you work with certain people that you really, you love what they do, you love working with them as people and yeah, you just, and together you can get some great results. So Mm. for me, that's it. Yeah. Um, I loved my time on the Arias, although at the end of every Aria Awards, I'd say I'm not going to do this again, but I would still come back and do it And for those that don't know that are listening to overseas, so that's the Australian... Recording Industry Association Awards. Yeah, so, so they're the biggest music Grammys, awards. Correct. Yeah, yeah, awards. yeah. Yep. Um, I did those for six years, and you know there were some highs and some serious <laughs> lows, um, but you know lots of fun. Um, things like Home Bake. Yeah. I love working with Cold Chisel. I love working with Jimmy Barnes. Mm-hmm. Um, you love events, don't you? I was. I loved events. I yeah. loved the big picture, and I loved putting it all together. Is it the event coordinating side of that and managing all these different artists versus just one? Yes. Yeah. Yes. And, it's you know, it's, working with the Ari Awards, it's, it's always a good thing to do. Like mm. Megan Washington always says, you know, I'll never forget Ringer Ferris. She was told me I was up for six awards. You know, we got, <laughs> we got to tell people, yeah. you know, we got to be there when, yeah. when they were at their happiest and, you know, getting their picture taken with the award mm-hmm. they've just won. It's a happy time. Yeah. Yeah. And you touched on this, Val, but, um, you know, the fact that both of you have worked with, uh, especially now um, in your having your own businesses and doing the personal music publicity for a number of artists. I mean, Val, you were with Keith Urban for, what, 10 years or so now? Yeah, 10 years. And yeah. you've been with Barnsley for how long, Rena? So Chisel for 12 and doing Bar- Jimmy's solo stuff for 10. So that's a real testament, I think, to the respect and trust that the two of you with your, you know, various clients and artists that you work with have built up over that time. The reason it's good, though, is, I, is for me, personally is the respect you get back yeah you you are treated like you're part of the team Mm -hmm. you're you're you know you're clearly valued um and that means the world so yeah that's that's when it becomes the most enjoyable when you are getting the same thing back yeah absolutely and 
you know, throughout your careers, you must have dealt with numerous PRs, working alongside them, observing them from afar. What do you think uh, sets a good PR aside from a bad PR? I think good communication and being efficient at what you do. Um, I think Rena and I probably both fall into the category of not being the stereotypical air kissing PR people. <laughs> and there's a, there's a lot of that that goes on. And actually yeah. I think there's, there's a whole other working side to PR of, of getting results and getting mm-hmm. things done. And I think to me that's what set, sets apart yeah. a good PR from, from one that's not so good. Mm. And look, I'm, I've always been of the view, whatever it is that has to be done, has to be done. It doesn't matter who does it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, whether it be packing envelopes with CDs when you're back in record labels or, you know, or doing the grunt stuff. I'm, you know, I'm still happy to get on the floor and do all that. That's that's the job that has to be done. Mm. And that's what, to, to me, a good PR also, you know, if something isn't working out, they can work it out themselves and, and come up with an alternative plan instead of just, you know, bitching about whoever it was that didn't happen. Yeah, you've got to be self-sufficient, don't you? And the, the pathway of working in music publicity is quite different between the two of you. So, Val, I... It, I think you've got a little bit more of a traditional, you studied communications at university. Yeah, I did take so a did, traditional path. Yeah, yeah, and is that because you had thought PR would be a career or that, that degree interested you and you weren't quite sure where that was going to lead you at the time? Yeah, the second thing, the degree yeah. interested <laughs> me and I wasn't quite sure where it would lead me. I, I knew I wanted a fun job. I, I loved music. Um, I, I studied communications at uni and ended up doing PR. Um, and from there, I just thought, well, how can I, how can I find a, a job that merges a bit of everything, a bit of that love I have for the way media works and love I have for music and something that'll motivate me to go to work every day. You know, we're all working mm-hmm. for a long chunk of our lives. And so, yeah, so that was, it, that's how I ended up in music PR. And you started at a record label. I did. Yeah. yeah I so you at, entered as what, a coordinator or was, assistant? Yeah, or? I was the national publicity coordinator mm-hmm. at Festival Records. And that so what does that mean? What, at, that, at that time, obviously, I realise industry has changed quite a bit now, but... Really, it was started. coordinating the assets for the PR department. And in those days, it was a huge PR department compared to what labels have now. Um, and everyone had very specific tasks. So I used to write the bios or just localise the bio that came in from overseas, uh, just put the Australian relevant Australian information into it, whether it was chart positions or whatever local info needed to go in. Um, used to prepare all the photos. They were the, the main two things, to be honest, for all Remember the releases every week. you had to send them to people? Yeah. Like the wine prints? <laughs> <laughs> all that stuff. Yeah, so preparing the assets, that was really my first job. I wasn't really hands-on with anything else. That was the next roll-up, I suppose. Mm. So, But, for you know, great start to, to get a handle on, on what happens in in a, a record label. Yeah, and Rena, you also worked at a record label. I started at Polygram Records in Business Affairs mm. as the assistant to the Business Affairs is that because you had, I had training or ex- I was, uh-huh. I'd worked in legal offices up until that point? Yep. Um, my first husband was a musician. Mm-hmm. My second husband was a comedian. I knew a lot of people in the business and I understood what goes on in it to a certain degree. Um, so, so you I entered te- that industry by choice because you thought... Legal, this- yes, because that's where I kind of started when mm-hmm. I was 18, 19. I was a conveyancing clerk for a long time. I was, you know, I ran a little um, unit in a you know, solicitor's office. Um, and then I was temping, so there's a temp job come up for the business affairs, and they'd offer me the job. They sent me to law school. I was there for like three and a half years or so, and then there was a job coming up. Um, one of the Vic promo managers, or Brisbane promo managers, one of them was off on a break, and somebody said, "You know, do you want to go and fill in for them?" 
no promo experience whatsoever. Um, and I did that and I thought, yeah, this isn't bad. A little bit more and fun. And then they offered me a, the Victorian role or the, I can't remember which way it was around then. And I said, no, because my children were small. You know, oh, if you want to offer me a promo role, I'll wait for New South Wales. And within a week, a New South Wales promo job came up. And, and there I was. talk to me about promotions managers and publicity because they're, they're different or are they thing, same? Back when I was working in promo, we didn't have publicity managers. Uh, I did uh-huh. long leads, radio, TV, short leads. There was no online back then. But we did, we covered everybody. Right. We knew there was a there PR wasn't somebody role. doing mm. TV and somebody doing radio. Or, you know, we, we worked right across. So a release, we worked across every every you know media outlet to be able to to get it away you know mm. we shared them with another pr manager back then but you mm. know, we just split it but we did all of that right and so did you have a natural interest in music as well yes. or that kind of yes. factored in yes yeah mm. all my friends were musicians or in the industry yeah or some way you know part of it and what do you think the key differences are besides, you know, the photos and maybe how the departments have certainly shrunk over the years? You know, 10, 20 years ago, how is how has my music publicity changed in, in that time? There's not as many avenues or as, as there was when yeah. I first started. As in, as in outlets and yeah. opportunities. Yeah. Mm. Outlets, opportunities, you know, you'd... It was easier to fill a promo schedule back then because you could put somebody from every newspaper in the country in it. Now, mm. now you've got one and you're... And, and that's it, and they syndicate out, and you can't talk to anybody else. And not that that's such a bad thing. There's very few long leads left mm-hmm. to be talking to. Um, online is great, you know. There's all those blogs out there, but are they cutting through? And I, I work, you know, my clients are of an older demographic mm-hmm. these days, and it's not really, you know, they we still like to see print media. We still like to see a cover, makes us smile. Yeah, I still like to read that stuff in print mm-hmm. form. I guess obviously social media must make a huge impact. So those that are managing emerging artists now, I imagine social media is a seventy-five percent of what they do is yes. trying to build up these online brands. With them, influencers alone. and bloggers. Oh my gosh! And, and you know, no offense to any influencer and blogger, but they're not necessarily going to sell me another concert ticket for the clients I work with. Yeah, you know, absolutely. It's not... about adapting to your market, isn't yeah. it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and thinking back to those early years when you guys were establishing your music careers, were you professionally hungry to be promoted? Did you have career goals of getting to a certain point or what you wanted to accomplish or you were just doing your day-to-day job and loving it and seeing where it took you? Oh, I think it was a bit of both for me. Mm-hmm. I, was, I was enjoying the day-to-day and just seeing where it took me. I loved the environment that I was working in for, for all of my jobs that I had, different roles, different companies. Um, yeah, but then I guess you get to a point where you just, you're trying to establish where you're headed and, and what you want and how long you want to do it for. And, you know, it's it's hard. I think at the peak of the time that I was working at EMI, um, you know, there's long hours doing work in the office and being at gigs at night or, you know, there was a lot of entertaining, so you'd be out to dinner with an artist or, you know, there was there was a lot of your own time was soaked up into your job. So I think in the end for me that probably helped me to define what I wanted to do because I was... I felt like I had less and less time in the day mm. for myself. So I was like, I need to work out whether this this lifestyle job is what I want or, or you know, or... How or I could craft then. it to make it work for me. Yeah. And what yeah. about you, Rena? Do you, with any goals that you had? I wasn't looking or? for that. I mm. wasn't looking, you know, I was the New South Wales promo rep for Mercury for four and a bit years. And then I got headhunted to Roadshow. Um, and then I went to Festival Mushroom and headhunted there. And that's when I, I've made redundant there and that's when I started my own business and it's been 18 years now. Mm. You know, there's lots of things I missed about record companies for a while, like the company car and, you know, <laughs> and then, you know eating Spencer in really great cash. restaurants a lot. But, 
but you know that that quickly fell away and and I liked you know I liked working with the people I wanted to work with and and it being mine and are there any core lessons or principles about how you go about your job that you learned in those formative years that have stuck with you over the time in regards to PR lying is a real shit yeah come back and bite you (laughs) and you know if I remember being told once that that you know taking out this punk record and punk wasn't my thing never you know but it's, I was told that you go and tell Arnold Frollo's that this is the best punk record there's ever had made. And if I walked into Arnie and said that, who knows so much more about music than I do, I'd have been laughed out of there. And next week when I went in with something that was, you know, mm-hmm. I didn't know something about. So I learned really early just, you know, not to necessarily do what I was told, but to be honest. And I think and it's about crafting it. Point. It's mm-hmm. about how you craft it as mm-hmm. well. You know, it's not, and maybe it's very different in music. Um, so definitely correct me if I'm wrong, but I certainly know with television and obviously hospitality that I'm in now, I, I never tell people this is the best restaurant you've ever been to and say, I think you might like it for these reasons, but it's up to a journalist to make the decision mm. about whether it's the best thing since sliced bread or not, or, you know, how it compares to everyone else. I don't feel it's yes. the PR's responsibility to... And don't attack them if they say it's not the best restaurant Absolutely. you've ever been to. <laughs> yes. you know, that, there is no points in, in that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I know when I first started working in PR, I had this kind of uh, idea of what my ideal job was and I thought it was doing personal PR for a celebrity and kind of controlling and managing and being the gatekeeper for everything that kind of came in and out for their whole entire life. the 2am phone calls when they can't find something. Well, this is what I hadn't thought about. And then I started working in television and I thought, uh-uh, this is not for me. This sounds ridiculous. Who would want to do that? But was there... Um, I guess a career goal that you aspired. Did you aspire to have your own businesses, which of course you now do, or have those long-term relationships, or it was just a case of evolving? I think for me, it just evolved. Me really, too. Yeah. yeah. I just. Um... I didn't expect to to do. Like I was really lucky when I started, and Viv Fanton had a lot to do with that. I took lots, you know, the Ari Awards. Viv pushed me into Big Day Out. Viv pushed me into the APRA Awards that I've done recently. Is is Viv? You know, there's people like that that have just been ridiculously supportive of, mm. and and you know have have been so warm and accommodating and helpful that you know they it's just really happened mm. you know for a minute there I all of a sudden I was doing a lot of big gigs you know all of the big gigs around that ARI awards the across the great divide the powderfinger farewells the cultures you know it's like it was and that was great that was a great time and I learned so much and I got to know so many people but that's now somebody else's turn to do that. I don't need to do that no. anymore. Yeah. And I'm happy that those things are out there being done somewhere else because the stress would do my head in now. Yeah. <laughs> Not to mention the people. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I know you, uh, the pair of you haven't worked at a record label for a while now since you've had your own businesses, but I'd love to give just, I guess, a, a brief overview of what it looks like when you are doing the publicity at a record label for, let's say, an album launching, which I assume is the, the most regular kind of thing that you're doing. How far in advance do you start working on it? How does that kind of, because I really have no idea. Much more than we did when I've, you know, I've done in when I've been on my own. Mm. Record labels, because they know what's coming, they've got their schedules. You know, often when you're being hired as a freelancer, 
that you're the last minute, mm. you know, and it's like, oh, yeah, I want this out in two weeks' time. It's like, yeah, not me then. You so how far, someone else. <laughs> how far in advance would record labels know that oh. the next artist is dropping that album? We'd know three months in advance yeah. what was coming and whether or not the artist was likely to be here, whether we were going to put together a launch event, whether, you know, what a lot of what access, what we'd have. So mm. it was, you know, there was forward planning always going on. It's a lot shorter, I, mm. I find, having my yeah, own business. Yeah, I think... I think when I was working at a label, you know, we two months prior to a release is when you're servicing long leads that existed ten years ago that don't exist now, really. Mm. Um, so you would you'd have to be ready to by then, you know, to a certain point. So you know, you'd have to have a bio ready. You'd have to have the music, the album ready mm. to service. You'd have to have some photos to go with it. You'd have to have artwork. You'd have to have those tools. So assume that the album go. has to be ready three months in advance so people can start listening to it and therefore, you know, if they're going to do an interview with someone. It was. Yeah. You know, for some reason and now all of a sudden it's like, oh, all of a sudden it's drops tomorrow and it's dropping or it's, you know, we've scheduled for two weeks. now, I suppose. You don't have the same production. You don't have to manufacture. You Mm. you know, whatever's being manufactured is mostly for for sales at gigs and things rather than, you know, in stores other than what's Mm. there, JB Hi-Fi and some of the chains. And then I guess uh, when the artist lands in Australia or there in Australia it's it's the executing of those elements and that can mean I guess following them around the country so you part of the the touring group because you've got to be on hand to all the reactive stuff that may come in pre-gig post-gig all that kind of stuff yep Yep. you're sitting there you're sitting there with them from the start of the schedule from in traveling with them for tv sitting in the room while they're doing Mm -hmm. photos it's relentless really isn't it yeah. And, you know, depending on the artist is how relentless it feels to, yeah. you know, some, some are a breeze and some were like, oh, I can't wait till this is over. Did you or do you find that the more established music artists need far less hand-holding because they can, they can, they, them, they know what to do. No, yeah. Some of them, you know, there's some of the older ones that were just, Jimmy Page was an ass. I couldn't stand working <laughs> with him. He was so rude. Um yeah, Gene Simmons was a pain in the ass as well. Mm. But, you know, at least he did what I asked him to do as long yeah. as I told him how great he was often enough. And that's what it comes down to, doesn't it? Knowing yeah. how to work with people. Yeah. yeah, I was just going to say, I think when the more established artists tend to understand the role of a PR person. Mm. So because of that, it's they need less hand-holding because mm. they understand what their role is and your role is and how you work together to get it resolved. So yeah. it's easier from that point of view. And I think when you are... Uh, even if you're not necessarily a young artist, but you're in the youth stages of having a career, you really are having to do every bloody interview that could possibly be relevant to you. But as you kind of get on and you have that respect, you don't have to do everything. You can just handpick and do the seven best or the 10 best or the 20 best versus the 200. Yes. So that I think would change the impact of how the artist then feels about doing PR. And I think also when you're dealing with a certain caliber of artists they don't necessarily need that brand profiling it's not like we need to have people seeing them somewhere every couple of yes, weeks to, to get that momentum exactly yeah it's you know you've you've you can trust the fact that people will know who they are and when they do release something they've got something to say they're going to listen mm. Mm. so how many artists would you be you know whether it's in the record label and obviously over your careers have, have changed and evolved now but how many artists could you be working with at any one time Mm, it depends probably on... When you say working with, do you mean face-to-face or working on their product mm. when they might not be here? So I, I guess across 
both. So if you, you know, you may be forward planning, you may be in the midst of a tour. Do you have to really separate and go, right, well, I've got one artist doing this thing for a couple of months, so I can't actually do anything else. No. Or can you? I, I can. You can do that. It depends yeah. on what those projects are. Mm. But and in, how much in, you want to label? Did you, ever, mm. did you ever do radio plugging at the label? Limited. It depended yeah. on what the role like, was. Uh, yeah. yeah. Paul, I worked with Paul Mitchell for most of it. And, um, and yeah, we were out at radio. So there'd be sometimes you'd have, you know, anything between 10 and 15 singles going. And that was every week. Yeah. Um, and, you know, that's that was... I always say when I left for record companies, I'll never have to schlock another who let the dogs out again. <laughs> <laughs> Like that is off the cards now. Yeah. It's different now, though, when you work for yourself, isn't it? Because you, yeah. you wouldn't put yourself into that position. No, I, yeah, I wouldn't take on a client. You know, you don't. I don't take on clients that I don't I don't like the product. I don't mm. take it for the sake of earning money. Because if I'm, if I'm not as enthusiastic about whatever it is as they are, they shouldn't be paying me. Yes. There's somebody else out there who will who will be as enthusiastic yep. as they are. And I'm a firm believer in that. You know, I don't take on any hospitality PR jobs that um, that are after having huge, big celebrity events. I mm. am not your gal for that. There is other agencies or PRs out there that are much better suited to that kind of thing. And I don't need to pretend to fall into that. That's, you know, work to your strengths. And I guess one thing that's important to clarify is music publicists are not personal managers. Lots of these artists, no, and depending on the artist and how they structure their team around them, they have managers that they rely on to talk about their other opportunities. Are they going to be doing a, a documentary? Are they going to be doing something in America or whatever it may be? It's, it's really the PR component that you step in for. Yes. Yeah. I, do some, I do personal, you know, I, I oversee personal PR for them. Mm-hmm. So if there's anything personally that comes up, but I don't, I don't pitch, you know, sorry, I don't That's not negotiate. You know, yeah. business deals, yeah. ambassadorships, or, yeah. or anything like that. That's mm. that's a manager's role, and then you know, I'm normally in the loop of this is what's going on, and expect mm-hmm. to be doing this. But and then I'll just wait to get the nod. Mm. And who are some of the artists you've most enjoyed working with? I love working with Jimmy Barnes and the Barnes family. They are they are a truly beautiful family. Mm. Um, I love Chisel. Every member of Cold Chisel is a is a good guy. There's others that I can look back on in record company days. Like I, I loved working with Megan Washington. I loved working with Tina Arena. When Val's going to, we talk. all love Tina yeah. Arena. <laughs> Who doesn't love Val's Tina Arena? Jump in with some names while I think of some more. <laughs> I love, obviously, I love working with Keith Urban. Mm. It's it's a creative and interesting and great he's a great great artist to yeah work with, i just so listened it's... to his um his interview with dax shepherd this week uh and he's i mean obviously everyone knows about keith but he's such a comes across as such and same with barnsey they're such lovely approachable down-to-earth human beings that if you met them somewhere you would want to be their friend yeah. and, you, and you get the sense that they're and that's why you work with them i suppose is they really are good humans yeah and and amazing creative people that make great music and yeah but I I think in addition to that there's other artists that I've worked with maybe just for a tour um that I really like I loved working on the Fleetwood Mac tour about five years ago I think it was off the top of my head and um you know just people that you it just was a a good time you you know everything went well you enjoyed it and you know and I'm sure you guys have had a fair share of assholes to deal with in the time whether they're did I mention Jimmy Page (laughs) (laughs) I think just once yeah um what advice would you have for young PRs who are starting out, who are working with artists that they just don't like for one reason or another? Get out. You shouldn't be working with an artist you don't like unless you have to, unless you're part of a record company where mm. you've got no choice 
and you are schlocking her who let the dogs out, it is, you know, if you're working on your own, it's it's that old marketing adage, isn't it? If you do a good job, 10 people know. If you do a shit job, they tell the world. Mm. And if you're not, if your heart's not in it, you're not doing a great job. You can't be. Mm. And I guess if you're at a record label, and again, I'm, I'm only kind of surmising here that you're probably going to be working for three months or four months or six months and then hopefully the artist moves on and once you get through that particular project, you can put your hand up and say, Yeah, but then the artist will be on cycle again in the next 12 yeah, months. I think that's, that's maybe <laughs> yeah. what you can do when you have your own business. Uh, you agree to an album uh-huh. release or a project. Yeah. So there is a, a time limit on it. But if you're at a label, you've, you're with they're signed to the label. Yeah. So every time they release a single or an album, you're, you're on it. So mm. it's different from that point of view. You mentioned about the PR teams being a lot larger when you guys were there. So how have, have they literally halved were, now? Or? Oh, I, oh, less than half. Really? Like, yeah. People are just Because there's no sales reps. We worked in, you mm. know, I worked in the New South Wales branch at Mercury and, you know, we had our state manager, mm. about six sales reps, two people working Polydor, two people working um, Mercury, and then there were the, the national classics and jazz people that would flick in and out. But... So, you know, we had like 12 people in a branch mm. and I, you know, I assume those sales rep jobs aren't there anymore or, or they're very few and they're more on a national level than they, you know, I don't know about Val, but in the old days we used to go out every Friday and do chart calls and, you know, you'd go out with a sales rep and visit all the chart stores and, and you know, see see what other record labels might have just gifted them. <laughs> what chances you've got about getting your number one next week. Um, I think I think the main difference that I can see in labels now compared to what it used to be is that it used to be people had more specific roles and now there's a, maybe what used to, three people might have done ten years ago is now one person's role. So you've got to be skilled in different areas. But do they do, they do radio, TV, long print? Mm. They are? Yeah, I think okay, a lot of those sort of they weren't. No, for a while they were radio, TV person now... and the publicity person. And, and, you know, whilst they all knew each other and they'd mm. be at the same events together with the, you know, with the radio people, they all knew, but mm. it was... It I think was, they're starting to did. become more combined. Yeah. And how does your role um, work alongside record label publicists now? Because obviously the artists you work obviously assigned to a record label, so how is that the work or the, the responsibilities divvied out between the record label publicist and the personal publicist? For me... Most of my clients are signed to Mushroom, so I work with them, um, with clients, with Cold Chisel, that's all me, but with someone like Jimmy, Mushroom set, you know, if it's a record release, they set the schedule and I'm I'm kind of, my role is to oversee that and to be the liaison and make sure that Jimmy is happy and and that works the same level on the book as well. Um, but yeah, we work, you know, it's all a question. I'm, everyone talks to, I'm happy to talk to whoever who's got the best relationship. You know, mm-hmm. if I've got a better relationship than somebody else has, then I should do that. And, and if you've got a better one than me, you should do that. You know, it's play your strengths. Mm. Mm. But I, I think, you know, in, in the role that we both have now, you're the one overseeing the direction of things and making sure that it's, you know, going in the direction that collectively it, it should yes. be going in. So, Okay, so in a busiest week at the moment for you guys, what does that week look like in terms of what you're doing, how that day is kind so of like structured? Now? If, the, well, let's talk. Let's talk pre-COVID. pre-COVID. Let's do pre-COVID because I imagine things now are a little bit strange. Pre-COVID, I probably had five or six tours on the go at once. Um, prepping, you know, we have prep for Denny ten months out. Start working through what, whose announcements and timelines. 
Um, now I don't have any artists on tour. You know, there's a couple doing the odd show here and there, but nothing that's I'm terribly involved in. Um, because they're not big shows. They're like little Lizotte shows or something like that that have got a streaming attached to it. So, mm. um, so yeah, I do, you know, I've got a book coming, doing a book at the moment. So I've got conference calls twice a week with <clears throat> whoever's on, you know, the, the stakeholders on the other side. But there's lots of time. Mm. And Val, Keith just uh, launches an album in the next day or two, doesn't yeah, he? Yeah, tomorrow. Yeah, so you've obviously been working on that through this COVID time. How, is, how has that been compared to pre-COVID? Oh, look, working in a pandemic, I've realised, is a totally <laughs> different experience to, you know, just wearing masks, using sanitizer, having to be socially distanced and, you know, doing, doing interviews is... Um, is challenging for some some media setups are quite different um you know sending limited crews for instance if you're going to do stuff face to face so um that's that's a very different way to work trying to get everything set up in time when you've got less people to do the setting up and yeah so but i think um you know prior to being in a pandemic just the the key thing for me on any day is just trying to get an early start on the day and trying to stay on top of my own inbox and my own uh, plans that I have for the day because I think in every single day there's unexpected things happen and in working in, in PR you have to allow time to deal with things that you were never planning on doing that day. So for me I put aside, I don't know, one to two hours a day to deal not just with emails coming in and media releases I need to write or send out or whatever but completely unexpected things that I have to wrap my head around and work with whatever t- team I'm working with to help discuss and plan and do calls and you know yeah I think that's that's an important part of of any day um, is understanding that you need that time in the in the pre-COVID days when you'd have like someone like say a Robbie Williams tour you know you'd have two hotel rooms booked and you'd have Mm -hmm. one tv setting up in one room or you're doing the other one and then you know once that was done somebody else would load out and they'd move in and just moved your artist Mm. you know, backwards and forwards through the hotel rooms. Sounds like but, a breeze. Know, but yeah, COVID, it's the ideal yeah, scenario, yeah. isn't it? <laughs> it's not really a breeze sometimes, mm. but, um, but you know, you can't do that anymore. You know, mm. do, you know all yeah. those times where it's, no, no, it has to be a face-to-face. Well, that's all blown out the water, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. Well, yeah, doing interviews on Zoom seems to have quickly become yeah. an, an acceptable thing to do. Um, I don't know how long it will last for, but currently it's completely okay, whereas... You know, back the start of the year, oh, it would yeah. never ever have been. No, okay. like breakfast radio. Who, do it, you know, yeah, doing to chat. be in there and do it live at yeah. seven thirty. It's like mm-hmm. you know, oh no, no, we'll zoom. Thanks. Mm. How are we going so far? We're going really well, ladies. <laughs> really well. We've only got a handful of questions left. Uh, oh, that's what I wanted to ask. So, in terms of moving away from working for record labels, what inspired both of you to say, okay? either I'm done with record labels or was there an opportunity of mm, someone's approached me and I see that there might be an opportunity to work for myself now? I got redundant, got made redundant at Festival Mushroom and I didn't know what I wanted to do. And all of a sudden people were saying, you know, you should do this, you should do this. And I didn't really think it was me because I'm not big on numbers and bookkeeping and shit like that. But then um, I partnered with Jodie Davies, um, hence Ferris Davies, but she didn't stay for, she fell pregnant, didn't stay for very long. So I've just kept it up and I've had to learn how to do all of that stuff. You know, I've got a good bookkeeper and I, but I, you know, I still have to do my best and I still have to do all of those things, which 
I despise, but that's that's it. I didn't ever plan it. I never saw myself as a mm-hmm. you know doing it on my mm-hmm. own. What about you, Val? Yeah, I didn't either. I was I was happy in my job. I, w- I was finding it was a, a lifestyle sort of job. So I guess I was in that mindset of how long do I do this for? Um, but then my dad got sick and passed away, and so for a lot of people that have been in that same sort of situation, it you just think about things differently. And I was just like, you know what? It's probably time for a change. I'd been thinking about going back to uni to do my master's in communication just because I just I felt like that was something a direction I wanted to to try and see if I didn't I didn't really know to be honest but you know I just had this idea it was something I wanted to do so I just that was dad passing away was the catalyst for that so I was like okay I resigned set up my business went back to uni because I thought if I don't have enough clients at least I can study you know and yeah and just went from there and was lucky that it all worked out really. I think, I mean, that's exactly how it worked for me. Well, not exactly the same. I had never really had any aspiration of having my own business at all. Again, I, I liked having the responsibility of getting a salary, doing my job, mm. doing my job really well. I go home at the end of the day. I don't have to worry about the business, how it's going to grow. And then circumstances change. And I started realizing, oh, I don't like having to tell people that, you know, do you mind if I'm half an hour late because, you know, I've got a dentist appointment or the bus is broken or something like that. And I thought, hmm, I can see a different structure being a little bit more flexible to my liking and that and that kind of really inspired me to do it. Sometimes I'm just... you don't realise how in a rut you are somewhere until it's taken out of your hands mm. and it's like, oh, shit, that's the best thing that ever happened, yeah. you know. You might not feel like that mm. until the money hits your bank account, but it's, um, <laughs> yes. it's yeah, I didn't realise how unhappy I was until I, you know, had a chance to see something else. Uh, one thing we haven't talked about is how do the two of you know each other? Well, she was at EMI, and I think we probably first started working together mostly when I was I was freelance then. Yeah. So around the ARIA Awards and and whatever else I was doing back then, I can't remember some of the early artists. Was it Alex Lloyd? Maybe early. You know, once you've started to work the those big events and there's PRs from everywhere, that you know, or you'd often. I don't think Val and I ever met, but I, you'd often eat, meet the other PR sitting in radio station waiting rooms waiting to go in yeah. and, you know, get your 30 seconds of attention. Yeah. <laughs> and what is it about each other that you can identify? Is there, is there anything you can identify and go, God, I wish I was a little bit more like that. I wish I had a little bit She's more of that. She's a better human being. Than <laughs> oh, oh. Yeah, look, I, people, a lot of people don't like me and I really couldn't give a shit. It's just, you know... Val's just Val's just a nice human being. Oh, thank That's you. That's lovely. <laughs> and she's, you know, we've worked together. I brought her into work on lots of things from cultures yeah, and our awards, and and we work together really well. Mm. She's a problem solver, and she's she understands that if that doesn't work, this is what the next option is, and you don't have to, you know, there's no hand holding. We just get it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And see, so Rena's a giver. That's how I get the opportunities. She's, yeah, she's given very me generous. plenty of opportunities. Um, that I've thoroughly enjoyed and we do work well together and she, I've watched Rena in the time I've known her which feels like it's probably about 20 years now probably. or something um, she's very generous with, with her time with people and helping people and I've seen people go out in PR and set up their own businesses and instead of viewing them as a competitor Rena's like here's someone else I can help you know yeah. <laughs> so you know and I think that's the way you approach I, this, this, your work yeah, in life I, I, you know my friends are mostly these days mostly I've met through the industry my closest friends, um, and you know, people people treated me well and, and helped me. So why shouldn't you try and do that if it's you know not for everybody? <laughs> <laughs> Some people it's harder to help than others. But, um, 
but you know it's and it's working on your own is the other thing because you know like when I was I used to have like four staff so it was easy and you bounced off people and there was somebody there and it's a bit harder on your own because you know sometimes I think my idea is really great and then I the next day and I realized yeah. oh, that was shit but if you had somebody there to tell you know you have that opportunity of bouncing and that that's one thing I do miss but I can you know I've got a you know I can drink Chris O'Hearn I could ring Val if I've got this thing in my head that it's like get me through you know how do mm-hmm. I turn this properly around and that's what you do when you you know and your you mates do, anyway and you do pick up the phone I yeah. think a lot of people mm. maybe think that you you can't talk to each other or yes. I don't know but Rena does she just picks up the phone yeah <laughs> well, exactly when I approached it about doing this she called me straight I back I was I like do, yeah, how I do it. As long as I can do it with somebody else <laughs> <laughs> okay, last question, ladies, just to wrap it up. For those who are listening who think music publicity might be the avenue for them, and I get that things are different to how you entered the industry, are there any words of wisdom or recommendations of a path to follow or to do or not to do? I think be comfortable with writing. You don't have to be an amazing writer at all, but you have to be comfortable with writing and be able and to put together check. a sentence. Yeah. Yeah. Use, there's plenty of tools, isn't it? Use spell check. Spell check's a good thing to use. Use Grammarly. Use yeah. lots. There's plenty of um, tools online that can help you help you yeah. come across as a better writer, probably than what you are. That's fine. But just be comfortable with it. You will have to write, yes. and you, and you'll have to be able to write quickly and get stuff done. And I I think that's a skill that you can you should always be trying to practice mm. i think and it goes for i think any sector of pr be able to think on your feet i mean i think a, a excellent publicist can obviously foresee issues that are about to come up because they see the signs or from experience tells them that this, these things could happen um and be able to adapt quickly and not get stressed or anxious about it. especially if you're touring and you've lined up these you know seven wonderful interviews and the first one goes over by half an hour which then bumps everything else out it's it's just this juggling and you've got to be able to do that on the spot you've got to be nice to those people who are waiting you've got to be nice to the people who's taking the extra half hour in front of the client yeah um there's nothing really it's just for me what you need to you know what you should be doing is defining your niche and what you love mm. you know i hated radio plugging that wasn't for me there were people that are really good at it and really enjoy mm. it so that's their strength yeah it's not mine, and I'm, and I'm very aware of that. Um, writing press releases was never... I was never great at that to start with. I'm much better at it now. But when I had to do that in those, you know, whether it be Big Day Outs or ARIA Awards, I got somebody who was a better writer to do it. Know your strengths and your weaknesses no. and try and build up and your I'm weaknesses, but accept. Yeah. With, you know, and it was Viv mm. Fanton. She was a fucking lover to death. And she would, you know, I'm more than happy to, you know, rather me sit there for two days trying to work on something. It made no sense. I hear you. Um, anything else from you, Val? You... Oh, I was just going to say, be okay with that. Like, yeah. you know, that's, yeah, except it's, it's okay that that you you know you you don't have to be able to do everything. No. <laughs> mm. I've really enjoyed the chat with you two today. Thank you so much for being so generous with your time. Oh, thank you. It's been great. (laughs) (laughs) And if you're trying to figure out what PR sector to work in, you'll find more sector specialist episodes on the podcast. Thanks for listening to the PR Pod. For more expert tips on working in PR, head to www.theprpod.com.